0: You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. While the number one fear in America may be the fear of public speaking, ranking high on the list for doctors is the inability to invest his or her hard-earned money wisely. Join us as we answer the question, should emotions play a role in investing? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskell. Joining me today is Dr. Shirley Muller, a board-certified neurologist and psychiatrist, After retiring from medicine, she worked in the investment industry and then founded MyMoneyMD.com. MyMoneyMD is designed to provide investment education for physicians. Welcome to the show, Dr. Muller.
1: Thank you, Dr. Casco.
0: Dr. Muller, one of the great investors or market traders of all time, George Soros, apparently let his body guide him in his financial decisions. Can you you talk a little bit about that?
1: We know from several sources that when Soros' back hurts, He knew he was in trouble with a market position, and he reversed it. If his mouth watered, he felt good about his bet, and he hung on. It's as though his nervous system conveyed information to him that affected him physiologically and helped him trade. He listened, took it into consideration, and then made his judgment. The financier's sensitivity to his internal clock paid off handsomely. I think we all know about his success. And the question is, should we be listening too?
0: Right. So I get some gut reactions about a stock pick that I think are great. And sometimes I listen to my gut and I couldn't be more wrong. You know, I am not George Soros. I am just an average internist who knows very little bit about the market. So should us as physicians be listening to our bodies when we're not George Soros?
1: Yes, we should be. But I think we have to make informed listening, so to speak, Knowing something about the science of behavioral economics and neuroeconomics will help us. Let me tell you a little bit about them. The behavioral economics part, it has to do with psychology, and the neuroeconomics part has to do with the physiology behind the psychology. So for as physicians, it's really easy for us to understand this compared to the general population. These areas focus on brain-body reactions and interactions that occur during monetary choices, and their findings suggest that humans have underlying hardwiring that lead to characteristic investing traits, many of which manifest themselves as emotion. And this emotion will either enhance or sabotage an investment effort. If an investor understands this, it helps him accentuate his investing strengths and minimize those that hurt him. And so, if we understand our bodies like George Soros apparently did, we can use this to our advantage.
0: How new are these ideas, Dr. Muller?
1: Well, they're a recent concept. As little as a few years ago, most believed the market was efficient, and that means that all known information was taken into account. Thereby, people would act rationally on their own behalf. Investigators didn't believe that emotion was part of the known investing equation.
0: When you talk about emotion, though, I dabble. A lot in the stock market and I tend to suffer I think what's called magical thinking that I have a stock and you know for some reason because I own it uh, and I am just emotionally attached to it that eventually this stock is going to be bought out I've decided in my mind it's going to be bought and I keep telling myself that so uh, that seems like an emotion that may not necessarily be correct
1: oh that's absolutely correct you are experiencing what is called optimism over realism. And we'll discuss that in in some detail because it's a very interesting concept. But let me just get back to how we found out that the market was not rational. It was Lowe and McKinley, one from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the other one from the Wharton School of Business, who re-examined this efficient market hypothesis or the rational market hypothesis. And they found that Stocks do not move in an efficient manner, but rather they have non-random movements. And Dr. Kaskill, you may have contributed to this in in your behavior, but what this meant to the researchers was that if we could understand these non-random movements and educate ourselves about them, we could actually profit from them. So they set up the groundwork for understanding the psychology of the market. And then this was taken one step Further, later, when two investigators researched neuroeconomics, which is how the brain underpins all of this psychology, the new information set up the groundwork for behavioral economics to step in to contribute. Its practitioners searched to explain the psychological underpinnings of non-random markets by combining studies in human behavior and economics and two researchers, Kahneman and Smith, won the Nobel Prize in economics for work in this area in 2002.
0: It's pretty amazing that a Nobel Prize was given for this kind of work. You know, behavioral economics might tell us something about why people make economic decisions, but but it still isn't really explaining how it's actually happening in the brain.
1: Well, this is true, and this is what is near and dear to my heart. Behavioral economics developed into neuroeconomics, neuroeconomics having to do with the neurobiology underlying the psychology, and the two relate in that one produces the other. Our neurobiology is at least partly responsible for our psychological makeup, though environmental influences may also contribute. Information from these cutting-edge fields provides insight as to why we do what we do in the financial markets. For example, the prefrontal cortex, located in the front of the brain, is a CEO that modulates emotions emanating from deep in the brain when we make financial decisions. Think of the CEO prefrontal cortex as being influenced by subordinates who happen to be family members, and each one has an emotional attachment to the CEO, the prefrontal cortex. These include the nucleus accumbens, the pleasure center that seeks reward, and it's lobbying to go for a particular trade because profit is a potential reward that excites it. But at the same time, the amygdala and anterior insula are sending messages to the prefrontal cortex not to trade, one because of fear and the other because of disgust. Now remember, these are family members deep in the brain that are emotional, and they have a connection with the CEO, the prefrontal cortex. And sometimes the director... The prefrontal cortex has trouble controlling these family members that are emotions. So our prefrontal cortex, although ideally it would be making all these investment decisions without any input from our deeper emotional center, it doesn't.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Dr. Shirley Muller. She's founder and CEO of MyMoneyMD.com. We're talking about the neurobiology and psychology behind our investment behavior. So, Dr. Muller, can we make more money in the market using some of these concepts?
1: Unequivocally, in my opinion. Some of our inherent biologic tendencies lead to actions and enhance our chances of making money, and others do the reverse. So our job is to be able to recognize which characteristics guide us toward wealth and which direct us the other way. Then we can accentuate our natural investing attributes that help us and curb those that are not to our benefit.
0: That sounds really great in the ivory tower, but in the real world, how, how practical is that?
1: I think it's very practical. Let me introduce one more concept before we get into this. There are two ways of reasoning. One is intuitive or instinctive, and the other is analytical and logical. Now, instinctive thinking is off the cuff, an almost unconscious reaction, and that might be a part of what is pushing you, Dr. Caskell, to make occasional investment decisions, It's directed by internal feelings, coalesced through previous experience, kind of a sum of emotional knowledge. As such, it's fast to come to mind, extremely handy to retrieve, though inadequate information may play into this appraisal, and there also can be lack of logic. Analytic thinking is just the opposite. It's slow, deliberate, a conscious response, and it works with external data, such as a page of numbers or a spreadsheet. Processing it can be laborious and even mind-numbing. And if errors are made, it's our own lack of analytical capacity or extraneous factors like social or time pressure that are to blame.
0: So as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm thinking of different people that really have these as traits. I mean, I know people that are analytical thinkers and people that are instinctive thinkers. So which one do we pay attention to our own thinking behavior and just go with that? Or do we do we go against our normal behaviors? How do I use this for the average investor such as me?
1: The average investor uses the instinctive, the intuitive way of thinking because he or she just doesn't have the tools at hand or the time to do the analytic thinking.
0: But you know, I hear over and over that the average investor is always going to not do as well as the house. The cards are stacked against us that we should really just throw in the towel and just put all our money in index funds and let the big guys with all the analytical knowledge take over. You're saying kind of the opposite.
1: I'm saying that we need to recognize what our traits are and to use them appropriately since most of us as doctors really don't have the time or the training to take care of our own investments index funds are a good way to go, broad-based index funds, which can provide both asset allocation, which means that you're invested in stocks, bonds, and cash at one time.
0: It's just not as exciting. I personally am not willing to let go of it yet completely, and it sounds like you still feel that as physicians we can use our skills to take advantage of things in the market.
1: Right. I think we need to identify what our skills are and use them appropriately. For example, My particular skill is twofold. One is we all know market timing is a fool's game. On the other hand, because I understand something about the market's ups and downs and how long it stays down after a catastrophe and when I can expect it to go up based on historical information, and also because I'm positioned in such a way that almost no matter what happens, my investments are okay, I can take risks at that time. So I've identified that as a strong area for me. Another area is to determine which sectors are up and down and to just play the, the sector that's been down for a while so that we can figure it'll go up, because historically that's what happens. But for other people, their strengths might be elsewhere. And it's just important to recognize, I think, for each of us, where we're strong and where we can make money. And part of recognizing where we're strong is to recognize how we react to the market.
0: Dr. Muller, the million-dollar question that is brewing in my head is, is how do you do personally in the market? You know, do you beat the market? Do you do as well as the market? Or do you not even dabble and just do research about it?
1: I beat 8 out of 10 managers, uh, possibly 9 out of 10. And the reason is because statistics show that mutual fund managers do not beat the market 80% of the time, manage mutual funds. So index funds do better 80% of the time. And then when you combine, and is there any reason to think that private managers do any better? I doubt it because expenses, management fee, trading costs, tax consequences can make an impact on how a manager does. So I think learning the basics of handling one's own money is always a good idea.
0: And on that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Shirley Muller of mymoneymd.com. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM 233 the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.